What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Andrew Brandt. Andrew is one of the smartest minds working around the business of sports. He has worked in the business for more than 25 years, serving as a player agent, vice president of the Green Bay Packers, TV analyst, professor, and more. In this episode, we discuss Dan Snyder's ticket controversy, the Buffalo Bills receiving $850 million in public funding for a new stadium, the impact of Deshaun Watson's new $230 million fully guaranteed contract, and more. I really enjoy chatting with Andrew, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. It's the one tech product that I wear 24-7. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone, and it automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go on a run anymore. You can then analyze your activity levels in the app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Root really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you're just wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. And Whoop is now offering 15% off their new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is 8Sleep. 8Sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer and nature's best medicine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues, yet still more than 30% of Americans struggle with sleep and temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot, but now I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I have ever before, all thanks to my 8Sleep Pod Pro Cover. The Pod Pro Cover by 8Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature of the cover will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. The result? Eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. The Pod Pro covered by Eight Sleep is so popular that it has garnered attention from CEOs, high performers such as Olympic gold medalist Red Gerard, and top CrossFit athletes, including the 2021 fittest man on earth, Justin Medoras, and UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou. They're all powered by Eight Sleep to make the most of their workouts and recovery. Remember, good sleep is the ultimate game changer. So go to eightsleep.com slash Joe to check out the Pod Pro cover and save $150 at checkout. Eight Sleep ships to the USA, Canada, and the UK. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. 
All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, everyone. I'm joined by Andrew Brandt again today. You guys already know Andrew. He was on the podcast before, but he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to professional sports in general, but specifically the NFL. He was in pro football or around pro football for 25 plus years. He was vice president of the Green Bay Packers, and he spends a lot of his time now creating content around the business of sports and the business of football. So, Andrew, how are you today? I'm good, Joe. Always good to be with you. I'm sure we're we're very like-minded souls and always enjoy being with you on the pod. Did you like that intro? I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and people ask me what my job is. I've got, like you, I've got several. It's hard to fit them in. And, you know, when I do radio interviews or pod interviews, I always get the question, how should I identify you? <laughs> like, you got so many titles. I'm like, you pick. That's what I always say. You pick. Yep. I'm sure you've you know? done it too, but I've run through the scenarios in my head. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to say. And then I get there and I'm like, ah, you know, it's kind of a few different things and, and I don't have a perfect answer, but that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Yeah. And I, you know, people talk about a lot of things that I do. I also have a day job, you know, which is interesting because you and I are recording this on Tuesday, April 12th, where I'm teaching my last class this semester. So I run a sports business and law program at Villanova University. So I teach, I do programs, I have student fellows, I work with Jay Wright in the athletic department. So it's always a nice thing to have sort of an anchor, especially in academia. And I went through this with you when we talked first on your opening podcast about when I left the Packers, I really wanted something different in my life. I didn't want to go work for another team. I didn't want to go back to the agent side, although I've done work with the Vayner Sports Group that I know you've talked to. I wanted to get into two areas, academia and media, and really pull the curtain back on ways that the inner workings of sports that people don't see. And I just, you know, it sounds trite, but I think in this third chapter of my career, I want to give back. And I can't give back by curing cancer or, or creating a, a vaccine, but I can give back by lending the world my perspective and my insight in all the different ways that I do column, podcast, newsletter premium site on the news, and then, of course, sell my teaching. And you certainly have. I know a lot of people enjoy your content, for one, but the thing that always surprises a lot of people is there's so many young professionals that watch this stuff, that read this stuff, and, and your experience, I think, is super helpful when it comes to, to their approach to their career, right? Which is getting into, whether it's on the NFL side or somewhere else, just the approach that you take and everything. So I know people appreciate it. I know that's for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Of course. You know, it is interesting. You and I talked about this before we came on. We don't, you never know what hits or what, what attaches. So I'll throw things out on Twitter, but other, other places. And, and then it just kind of resonates. I'm always just beaming when a student or even someone I meet or someone who just reaches out and says, something you said, it just sticks with me. Or I just went through a negotiation with my landlord and I used something you said, or I just went through it with my girlfriend and something you said really stuck out. So I use that and I'm like, great. It's awesome to hear. I love it. So instead of doing what we did the previous time, which was kind of running through your expertise and your career and everything like that, I want to just run through a few different topics and we can spend a few minutes on each and just get your thoughts, right? As someone who has spent time in the NFL and, and knows firsthand sure. what these teams and what these players and, and what the league is thinking in general. So I want to start with what's happening in Washington and, and specifically with their owner, Dan Snyder. So 
Dan Snyder, there's been a bunch of allegations over years now, right? There's been numerous things. I think he's almost become the James Dolan of the NFL, right? Where people want him out as an owner. People have been trying to remove him as the owner of Washington for a long period of time now. He is still the owner, obviously, but new allegations have come out where he's essentially cooking the books to some degree, right? I think it was AJ Perez at Front Office Sports broke the news a week or two ago. And then today, a 20-page letter actually got released by the Oversight Committee to the FTC that essentially accused him, and there's evidence, right, someone came forward within Washington's finance department or within their kind of operations and said that they had two separate books, right? And I'll let you speak to kind of how the actual process works. But my understanding is that ticketing revenue, it's the only local revenue source that does not go straight to the NFL team, right? So if you sell parking, if you sell peanuts and Cracker Jacks outside the stadium, you get the revenue for it. But ticketing, you split 60-40 after expenses, right? So you, you take, I think it's like 15% out, and then 60-40 goes to, you keep 60 and 40 goes to the league for the visiting teams, right. and you split. Right. And the allegation is that Dan Snyder and the, the Washington Commanders now have kept two separate books. One of them was legit, and one of them was understood kind of how much money was coming in and out, et cetera. And then one of them was had false information in it, right? And they were essentially hiding money that should have gone towards that 40%. And if you kind of zoom out for a second, that essentially means that they were keeping revenue or money from other NFL owners. So if you could just talk me through exactly how this works and then your general thoughts on like what this means, right. is this going to be the final straw that, you know, you're taking money now from other owners, they're no longer going to have your back and this might be it. Yeah, I know we talked about my background in the previous, but one thing I will say about Washington, I grew up die hard, die hard, Joe, Washington at that time, Redskin fan. And some of the best memories of my life were going to games with my dad at RFK Stadium, downtown D.C. That's my home. That was my home team. And the Redskins, as they were called then, galvanized our city. And I was just the biggest fan as a kid. I moved on in life and uh, maintained my fandom for quite a while, even after, you know, growing up there. But two things changed my fandom away from it. One was working for another team starting to work for the Green Bay Packers. And obviously, I couldn't be a fan of that team anymore. But like so many friends and family and people I know from that area, the ownership. I grew up with ownership around the Jack Kent Cook family. He was a strange dude himself, but it was a sort of a regal ownership group. And with this ownership, it's turned off a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. I grew up in the same neighborhood, Joe, with Daniel Snyder. We were friends with some similar people, but I never met him. I saw him at some league meetings when I was with the Packers, not really just a hello. So I don't know him. Let me just say that right away. But I know people who know him. And here's a story to sort of get us started with Dan Snyder. I've told this on Twitter over the past couple of years. I have a good friend who has daughters who were the same ages as Dan Snyder's daughters. He had him play over there. It was a nice little play date. He comes, picks him up around six o'clock at night. Guess who's pulling in the driveway as he, as he picks him up and puts his daughters in the car? It is Daniel Snyder. So my friend, who never met him, says, hey, thanks for having the girls over. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Dan. And he looks at my friend, 50-year-old guy, and says, it's Mr. Snyder. And I'm like, who does that? Like, who does that? My friend's an accomplished, you know, 50-year-old guy. And he's like, Mr. Snyder. I'm like, who does that? So there, that's who we're talking about. 
That's bad. You don't even do that to kids. You know what I mean? It's certainly not a, a peer of yours or, you know, a 50 year old grown man. Well, it's, it's a megalomaniac. It's whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But then we get to the toxic workplace stuff, which happened over a period of time, probably like 212 to 220 or 219. And that's still ongoing. Why the house oversight is into this at all. And of course, just women, I've had them on my podcast in the fall talking about they have to wear heels, not flats. They were told to wear dresses, not pants, constantly scrutinized and looked at. And then, of course, there was information about him at a party that tried to grope a former cheerleader and tried to push her into his limo, all those kind of things. And now we get to this. So the report comes out, and I actually had AJ Perez on my podcast talking about the report you mentioned. You identified it pretty well, Joe. It's like when we did it at the Packers, we take our ticket revenue which every game is sold out through 2090, right, at Lambeau Field. And we pull it together. We take out the expenses. It ends up being about 16 to 18% expenses. And then you have a 60-40 split. We keep the 60 and we put the 40 into a fund that the NFL administers. So it's the visiting team fund. And this is actually the fund. We're going to talk about stadium deals in a minute. This is the fund that pays off the stadium loans, too. So these teams have stadium loans that get paid back for the visiting team shares. That's another issue. So every team dutifully keeps the 60, puts the 40 in a fund. The 40 fund is distributed equally 32 ways around all teams. Again, it's not the cleanest thing, but that's how they do it in the NFL. The allegations on Snyder, as you said, where there were two books where it was sort of the, the legitimate 40%. And then there was this sort of fudging of those 40% through whatever kind of accounting methods he had. It's concerning because the NFL relies on this brethren, this brotherhood, this fraternity, this everyone is, you know, all for one, one for all. It's, it's you know, the shared revenues in, in the NFL are so much more than any other sport where you have national media, which is completely shared, where Green Bay got the same amount as New York or Dallas or L.A. And that's the feeling of the NFL. So for him to fudge, mess with, fool around with the 40% is going to be received very negatively. Well, one of the other interesting things I thought about too was they're like last when it comes to attendance, right? They're, they're second to last, I believe. <laughs> I looked it up earlier. They average just over 50,000 fans per game. And for context, I think Dallas was first and they average over 90,000 fans per game. Right. So nearly almost double many fans in Dallas as there are in Washington. And they're the ones skimming the books, not trying to pay up the revenue. Right. What's interesting is that AJ Perez on my podcast talked about it where it wasn't every game. It wasn't every year. It was certainly, you know, certain games here. It seemed very odd. But if you pull back and you say, well, wait a minute, this guy, he's worth billions. The franchise is worth five billion, four billion, whatever it is. And he's fudging a couple. 20,000 here, 80,000. Like, what? Like, now let's sort of get with the hyperbole. And the hyperbole being, oh my God, they could take the franchise away. We're a long way from that. And I know people talk about that. So, quickly, how does that even work, right? My understanding, again, and maybe this is wrong or maybe it's correct, is that other owners could hold like an emergency vote. I don't know if it's ever even happened before. Is that correct that they could basically hold a vote and vote him out? Or what does that process even look like to remove him? Because I think you're right where most people say, oh, he's gone now. You know, he's yeah. stealing money from other owners. But like, is that even possible? And how does that process look? 
Well, I think it's hard to say that that would be an emergency and all of a sudden, you know, in 10 days he'd be gone. I think that happened with obviously the Clippers and the NBA, but there was a failed mental health capacity of that owner, Donald Sterling, and there was kind of a 40-year dislike over a long period of time. For whatever reason, and we don't know the reason, these owners, this commissioner has protected Daniel Snyder to this point. These toxic workplace allegations are terrible. There was an oral report. For some reason, it never got reduced to writing. And they got a fine, $10 million, and they sort of took away Schneider's day-to-day management. His wife is doing that. But they have protected him so far. So I think it's a leap to say, well, this is going to make him kick him out. The process is really this loose and broad best interest of the game that the commissioner has. Integrity of the game, best interest of the game, conduct detrimental, those watchwords of sports. But the process is 24 owners. Just like 24 owners have to approve a new franchise owner, 24 owners would have to put one through a trap door. And I know for sure that Daniel Snyder has friends in ownership, especially Jerry Jones, who's one of the most influential owners. So that's why I say, let's hold the phone on, on kicking him out as an owner. But this is concerning. And I think you hit the you saw the the latest news, which is like, this is not just the NFL. This is Congress. So Congress had already started looking into them because of these treatment of women. And now they're looking into this as well. So there will be repercussions. And I think the next step, Joe, is subpoenas to get these people on record in front of Congress talking about treatment of women, but also the financial misdealings. So Thinking about this from an opposing point of view, right? So we talk about other owners protecting them. In my mind, and I'm, I'm curious your opinion as someone who has direct experience with this type of stuff. I think personally that the owners have protected him for so long, for so many years now against all these allegations, yeah. as almost an indirect way to protect themselves, right? Because if you think about it, at this point, whether people believe them to be true or not, they're still allegations, most of them, kind of relative to what we've seen and, and the stories that that have surfaced. And they've basically taken hold of his franchise. They've taken hostage of the team and the public narrative has changed and all of that, right? So I think by not saying anything and and protecting him to a degree, however you want to phrase it, the owners are protecting themselves, right? From a similar situation happening to themselves and their franchise. If they kind of leave Dan Snyder as this shield, it protects them. And then these other situations, you know, if they were to say, hey, look, Dan, you got to go. This was wrong. We believe that you did this, et cetera. Something similar could happen to them. So I think that's one thing, right, that this may protect them. But in my mind, when it comes to this, I think this is why so many people believe that this could be that last straw is because this doesn't necessarily protect other owners, right? You're taking money from other owners, one, but two, if other owners needed protection from this, that would mean that they're, they're breaking the rules also. Right. So I agree. And that, and that's part of the reason why I like you so much is like, you're always the cool head. You're like, Hey, let's not, you know, people are like, Oh, he's going to be out of here tomorrow. They're going to hold emergency vote. He's gone. And the reality is like, that's just not how it works. Right. These are massive, massive businesses. They're really expensive assets and they're just not going to force someone out because an allegations made by a former employee. I think what you said is so true. When we talk about other owners, they all have skeletons in their closet. And I'm not suggesting that's casting aspersions on them, but just this month, we've seen the Dallas Cowboys reportedly made a big, huge settlement to a bunch of cheerleaders because there was peeping going on. And the Dallas Cowboys owner reportedly made a huge settlement to someone who allegedly has his child. So <laughs> there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, I think that owners want to be sure, but 
you point out the difference. Some is personal, but some is business. And if he's messing with their money, they want him to look into that. And I think what this all points to, and we've saw this with different commissioners, Rob Manford during the Major League Baseball players lockout, the commissioner takes the bullets, right? So the commissioner is out in front of all this and he's protecting and he's given the press conferences. So part of his job is really to take the bullets, to take the heat so the owners don't have to. The owners are kind of siloed. They're on their European vacations or they're doing whatever they're doing. And it's the commissioner that takes the heat. So I think we have to understand that about the business of the NFL. The owners have the commissioner. The commissioner works for the owners. And some of that is seen when you see these, like, why wouldn't they get down? Why wouldn't they do something to Snyder? Why don't they do something to Jones? Why don't they do something? Well, again, it's a long horse race. And no one wants to be called out by their fellow brethren when sometimes the brethren have done similar things in their past. So I totally agree with all of that, Andrew. And my next question would just be around like, what happens from here in your mind, right? What is the process that's going to play out? And what do you think the end result is? And how long does that take to happen? I think there has to be a look into the accounting procedures now that this is out there. What has gone on with their 40%? That sort of was my first question when I heard this was, why wasn't this picked up? What is new? Where did this come out? Why didn't this get out before AJ Perez of front office sports had it? What, like who knows this? So it's supposedly from an employee of the Redskin of the commanders. And I would think he would be called in by, I would think the league, if not Congress to say exactly what went on, what was the process? How did this happen? And how much are we talking about? Right. That's the key. How much are we talking about? Is it, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands? Is it millions? Because again, that has to be accounted for. And if it's true, there has to be sanctioning, which again, I started to disappoint, but I don't think that sanctioning will result in Daniel Snyder no longer owning the team. Fair enough. I want to move on because I know we have one or two other topics to cover, but I didn't think that Dan Snyder funneling couple thousand dollars here, a couple thousand dollars there through Tim McGraw concerts and college football games was going to be the headline in 2022. But here we are. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. I appreciate your insight, obviously. But I want to talk next about the Buffalo Bills. They were in the news a week or two ago now. They just got funding for their new stadium. Massive amount of funding. It's the most, I believe, ever for a public sports team. So their current stadium is 50 years old. And they're going to get about $850 million in public funding for a new stadium. So $600 million is coming from New York State. $250 million is coming from Erie County. And then the owners, Terry and Kim Pagula, are funding $350 million. And then the NFL is doing $200 million. So a $1.4 billion stadium in total. Again, 60% is being paid for by the public. And it's going to open up in four to five years, 2026 or 2027. This is obviously more than any public city or state has given for an NFL team. I think the previous was the Las Vegas Raiders, and they implemented some unique things around kind of hotel taxes and whatever to help pay for that. What are your general thoughts? There seems to be this uproar around government funding for stadiums. Are you a fan of this? Do you think it's stupid? What do you think generally about how these teams are getting financing for their stadiums? Well, I guess my initial reaction is what an incredible deal for the owners of the bills. They have millions, billions of dollars, the Pagula family, Terry Pagula and Kim Pagula, and now they're getting subsidized by the public. And again, it's not even important where that's coming from, whether it's taxes or hotel taxes or tourist taxes or whatever it is. 
the fact is what you just said, $600 million of New York money, $250 million of Erie County money going to funding the stadium. Now, the biggest expense that NFL owners or any team owners have is building a new facility. I mean, that is going to cost total about a billion four. Now, think about that. You have a billion four expense, but 850 million is covered by someone else. Now, it just seems to me like, why is this happening? And Governor Kathy Hochul, (laughs) if I had her in a room, I'm like, why? Like, And I would think she would say, in so many words, I don't want to be the person that lost the Buffalo Bills. I have so many people tell me that they would never, ever, would never, ever consider Western New York the same if they lost the Buffalo Bills. I get that. I get it. I know what Green Bay, Wisconsin would be like without the Packers. The question is this, were they really going to move? Like... Were they going to move and to where? To St. Louis? To Toronto? To Austin? Really? And the answer is, is there a chance more than 0%? I guess that's what the governor was counting on. Because I get it. Bill's Mafia, I get it. You know, I get the importance, the psychosocial importance of having a team, especially a successful one. And Josh Allen's locked up long term and they're in great position. But that is an extraordinary amount of money. It's the biggest ever. You mentioned the Raiders, $750 million to lure the team to Nevada, paid by the state of Nevada. This is to keep a team. And here's the thing. I was around the NFL when LA was the stalking horse in negotiations, right? Minnesota used LA. New Orleans used LA. Jacksonville used LA to get their new stadiums. They can't use LA anymore, right? LA's taken with two teams. So my reaction is really just like, wow, $850 million. And if I'm advising Governor Hockul, I'm like, okay, give some public money, but not that much. Like, get some negotiators. <laughs> like, get the Pagulas, we'll get you $400 million. Are you happy with that? <laughs> you know? I think there's probably a few ways to look at it, right? And one, you're correct, that this is obviously the deal that no one else would have given them. Otherwise, they would have done it with someone else, right? If you can get public money and and, uh, you get such a great deal, then you're going to obviously do it with the city. Two, I think Austin, that's a pretty weak kind of move as the negotiation, right? Like I don't, sure, maybe they get a team at some point or whatever it is. But the reality is that there's a set number of these teams, right? The supply is limited and there's more cities that want them than they're currently in. So that's always going to be the case, in my opinion, where these cities are, are held hostage, especially a place like Western New York and Buffalo, where, as you mentioned, the Bills are such a huge part of that community, not only financially, but emotionally, right? Everyone is a fan of the team and so forth. So I think that you're right that she's she's put in a really difficult situation because you don't want to be the politician that loses the team, for sure, right? right? And I'm sure what she would also say is that $850 million out of a $216 billion budget. So if you think about the context, it's less than 0.5%, right? right? So it's a very small number when it comes to the overall budget, big number when you think about it kind of just in context of the team and the stadium and, and other relevant deals. So I think she would say that. But the other side to look at is like, Buffalo is not a great area when it comes to their condition today, right? I think it's the third poorest city in the United States. And they obviously need a lot of help from building infrastructure for healthcare, for all these other things. 
And that's discounting everything that's happening elsewhere in the state, right? So there's people on Long Island now that are going to pay for a portion of the stadium that are Jets fans, that are Giants fans, that will never, ever go to a game. And if you think about those people, like it doesn't make sense at all. And they're probably furious, right? To see their taxpayer money where it could help with highways, again, healthcare hospitals, it could help with the subway system in New York City. There's a million different things, right? And I tweeted it out and it was kind of just a joke, but it's obviously serious too to a degree that there was a headline like two days before the stadium got announced and it was Governor Hockle cuts $800 million from family and children's services, right? In her new bill. And then 850 goes to the team, right? And you look at it in that context and you're like, damn, that's pretty messed up, right? They're that's cutting right, the right. exact kind of similar number that they're giving to the team. And, and again, there's, there's a bunch of nuance to this. But I think the overarching theme is that one, generally every study, economic study shows that you're not going to earn the relevant money back out of, because really what you need is out of town visitors, right? And you need people to spend income that they wouldn't spend elsewhere. So if you live in Buffalo, most families have a budget, right? right. So you're, you're either going to a game or you're going to a movie or going to dinner, but you're not doing all three. So usually you have to get out of town visitors. There's not a ton of out of town visitors in Buffalo coming to see games in, in Buffalo. So that's kind of, I think, pretty obvious that it's not going to happen. So then you're just playing the supply and demand equation where you look at it from, okay, are they really going to go somewhere else? And I, I think it comes down to your point exactly where she didn't want to lose the team and you have to pay up if you don't want to lose the team. I didn't think there was any appetite out there for public funding anymore, but evidently there is. And there's three ways to go about it. One, just say no. California has said no. Governor Newsom, other people have said no. So Stan Kroenke builds the stadium, SoFi Stadium, on his own. I mean, give him that. He built it on his own. Maybe the nicest stadium in the world, too. Yeah. And there's no public funding. The other way is what Hockle did, just take control of it and give it out. And the other way is some kind of voter referendum, which I have experience with in Green Bay. Joe actually went door to door in Green Bay, Wisconsin, (laughs) talking about our renovation in 2003 where we renovated Lambeau Field, which was really a bandbox, like a high school stadium, like back where the ice ball was played. It's just a tiny little thing. And of course, we made it a big, up-to-date, big, massive building. But I had the door slammed in my face. And we were just trying to get a half-cent sales tax, half-cent sales tax in Brown County, Wisconsin. So I know how hard that is. And it would have been hard in Buffalo, would have been hard in New York, would have been extremely hard. But the governor took care of it. So, yeah, I think we get down to the fact there was, in her mind, more than a 0% chance of losing the bills. And that was enough to just dole out this money. The Packers membership club or whatever you want to call it doesn't look so dumb now, right? Everyone likes to poke fun at it. But when you think about it in the context of fans are paying to keep the team there and to do renovations and do all these things, and they're doing it by choice, not necessarily through their taxes, it looks a lot better from an optical standpoint, at least. Yeah, quick thing on that. These are the stock certificates that people don't know. These are the little certificates you get for 200. When I was there, it was 200. Now, then it was 250. Now it's $300. And there is a complete divergence of opinion on the value of those. Non-Packer fans are, what a waste of money. And Packer fans are, that's the most valuable thing I own. So... I've seen it from both sides. I poke fun at it all the time. I, I, I do it all the time and I love it. I think it's super cool. I think it's interesting. And if I was a fan, I could definitely see myself doing it. But as someone who's not a fan of the Packers, right, it's it's one of those things that people just love to poke fun at because it's unique and it's quirky and whatever. But I think that a lot of people within New York State right now are saying, hey, we wish we had that model, right? If you like the bills, pay for them to stay here. Yeah. I would take a line from your world where Someone told me that the Packers stock certificate is the original NFT. 
Yeah. I somehow managed to upset crypto people, NFT people, football people. <laughs> so that was a, a perfect tweet in my book. <laughs> but all right. So I want to touch on one more topic before I let you go, which is Deshaun Watson's contract. I think most people are up to speed on kind of what's played out now for at least a year or more at this point where there's been several allegations brought up against him. He sat out a period of time last year and now he's traded and he signed a new contract with the Cleveland Browns. So you wrote about this in Sports Illustrated this week. And one of the things you mentioned was just like, this has a huge impact for other teams and, and owners throughout the league. Just talk me through a little bit about why you think it's such a big deal across the league and, and the impact of this deal overall. There's never, ever, ever been a fully guaranteed contract more than three years in the NFL until Watson. And just to show how important that is, this happens in the NBA, this happens in Major League Baseball, where the moment you sign a deal five years or even more, it's guaranteed. And that doesn't happen in football. Why? Who knows why? The injury factor, teams have been able to avoid it, teams have fought against it. The only veteran who had a reasonably close to that fully guaranteed contract was Kirk Cousins, who was a true free agent. And of course, quarterbacks will never make it to free agency. If they're any good, teams are too smart to let them get to free agency. But Cousins was not really loved by the Washington football team. So he got to free agency and he, he cashed in. Watson, everyone knows the circumstances. And here's the part that continues to sort of, I, I continue to say this, Joe, and it's hard for me to even say this, but in part, due to his own misconduct, he created the perfect storm for himself. He got a raise. <laughs> he got a raise. I'll explain this. The Texans didn't want him, right? So he now becomes a free agent. And I just said a free agent and quarterback position never, ever happens. The Texans were smart. They had teams pre-qualify by saying, if you're going to talk to Deshaun, you have to uh, satisfy our trade demands. Four teams said, we'll give you three number ones plus more. Carolina, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Cleveland. We heard Cleveland was out and it made sense. He's a Southern kid, probably going to Atlanta, New Orleans, maybe Carolina. Then we heard Carolina was out. Then we heard, oh my God, Cleveland's not only back in, but they got him. And of course, the reason they got him was this contract, which if you told an agent, write a contract for a player, and I was an agent for 10 years, this is what I'd write. Five years fully guaranteed, fully guaranteed, not injury guaranteed Why a lot of these contracts, fully guaranteed. That means if he stinks, if he's a jerk, if he's a pain in the butt, he gets paid. He can be cut, but he's paid $230 million, 46 a year. Eclipses Pat Mahomes at 45 a year. He's the highest paid player per average. He's the highest paid player in total value. He's the only fully guaranteed contract. And the first year, they take the 46 million and, and it's about a million salary, the lowest possible, 45 in bonus, because bonus is not subject to forfeiture for a suspension. So if he's suspended for his 22 civil misconduct charges, that will go out of the million dollar salary only because the team protected him from that. And then I heard in the contract, there are protections against future suspensions. Usually it voids out future guarantees. In this case, it doesn't. <laughs> like, oh my God, what a contract. Now the impact, the reverberations you mentioned that I've mentioned. Right away, Steve Bashotti is saying some harsh things about this contract because he's in the direct line of fire. Lamar Jackson has had a better career than Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson has been healthier despite his style of play than Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson is closer to free agency. 
So he has every right to ask and receive that contract or more, which Bashadi does not want to do. Other quarterbacks, a year from now, contract eligibility will attach for Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. They have every right to ask for that or more. The problem for those teams is they're cash poor. The Chargers owned by the Spanos family doesn't have that resources. And the Brown family that owns the Bengals is a family business. They don't have those resources. And you ask, what do you mean they don't have it? Well, with a fully guaranteed contract, you have to future fund it. You have to put the future guarantees in escrow. So for the Browns, they have to put $180 million in escrow because they fully guaranteed for future years. The Browns can't do that. The Browns, meaning the owners of the Bengals, the Spanos, the owner of the Chargers, they can't do that. They don't have those cash lying around. So this is going to be the reverberations from this Watson contract, which people don't even realize how much will happen. They have tailored this contract. And the reason they did, we talked about why Kathy Hockle did what she did in Buffalo. I think that owners of the Browns said, you know what? You'll never get a quarterback like this ever, ever. And we're going to get some net bad PR, but he'll throw some touchdown passes and we'll be fine. I just think that's what had to go through their minds. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation because, again, from the outside looking in, it appears, and what we've heard is that he was leaning towards Atlanta. Maybe yeah. right? He was he was texting people. There's reports to come play with him there. And Baker Mayfield, the Browns quarterback, he got upset right that they were sniffing around other quarterbacks, wanted to make a deal with someone else, and then he demanded a trade and said, "I don't want to play there anymore." So now you're in this weird situation where you don't have a quarterback right? You're the Browns. You went so many years without one. You finally get a guy who's at least decent, right? People will argue back and forth whether he's valuable to the team or not, but at least he was putting the franchise in the right direction. And then he says he wants to move on also. So you get in this weird spot now where it almost feels like they had to do something crazy. And Watson, to your point, was in the perfect situation because now he has this team. He has all the leverage in the situation. He can go to another franchise or whatever. And his agent basically gets to draw up a contract and give them whatever they want and they'll take it. And the point about escrow is crazy. I didn't know that, that you have to put all the money, you have to future fund it and put all of the money in escrow, which makes a lot of sense because the other teams you mentioned would never do that, right? There's plenty of owners that would never do that to put $180 million into an escrow account because you're guaranteeing a contract for a player that by all means could be suspended for a long period of time this coming season and might be suspended for a long period of time, depending on kind of how the NFL acts around this. So it's a huge commitment to your point. If I was another owner, I'd be pretty furious also. Yeah, and it's clear to me, as you said about Atlanta, maybe it was New Orleans. I heard New Orleans all the time. That's, that was going to be a lock for people I was talking to. Cleveland was out. He's not. A, he, he's a Southern kid. But so what did they do? They just kept offering and offering and offering until, in my opinion, Atlanta, Carolina, and New Orleans cried uncle. They're like, sorry, we just can't. We can't do the things you and I just talked about to piss off our other owners to give them a blank check, we just can't. Whether it was the full guarantee, whether it was the way they treat suspensions in the contract, if I was negotiating that, I couldn't go back to the rest of my team and say, oh, we're going to take away your guarantees if you screw up. But we're not doing it for this guy who already screwed up 22 times, allegedly. So there's a lot left to see what happens with Watson and his legal situation. But this is a game-changing contract, no question. Yep, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. All right, 
Andrew, thank you so much for doing this. We're going to hopefully do it again on a somewhat semi-regular basis. Yeah. But before I let you go, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, and I know that if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen it also, but I'm a huge fan of your work in general and, and specifically your newsletter and everything else that you're doing. So where can people go more to find your writing and your newsletter? Yeah, thanks, Joe. I mean, I've really enjoyed doing this newsletter. I came into the game after you and you're quite a model, but I do a weekly. It's called the Sunday Seven, and it's really seven of my thoughts, obviously about sports, about football, about business, but about life, about things that really catch my attention. I give out quotes of the week and tweets of the week and those kind of things. So you go to andrew-brandt.com, andrew-brandt.com. It's an easy sign up. You know, it's a growing community. I'm really enjoying doing it. It's a labor of love. Comes out every Sunday morning, free to your inbox. And the addition to that, Joe, is that I think you and I talked about this. I now have a premium site. I'm not a good pitch guy. I'm not a salesman. But what I do is I, if you want to sign up for the Sports Business League, you go to andrew-brent.com slash SBL, andrew-brent.com slash SBL. I do a daily video and we get together weekly and talk about the issues of the week. So a little more, if you want more of me, I'll do that. And that's my first entree into sort of a paywall for certain people that want that beyond the newsletter. And of course, everything else I do with the podcast, the business of sports, where you'll be a guest soon. And of course, the column at Sports Illustrated you mentioned. And then I have my day job at, at Villanova Law School as well. Busy man. You said you weren't good at pitching, but that was a pretty good pitch. I, I would just say that I highly recommend it. I think it's great. I've recommended a lot of people to it, both through the newsletter and the podcast and Twitter. And everyone comes back and they're like, damn, this is great. Andrew's awesome. He is really balanced. He's really fair. He understands these ideas and these, the nuance to everything happening in the world of sports on a really high level. So I recommend everyone check it out. And you'll be back. Andrew, thanks so much for doing this. Look forward to doing this on a regular basis. Thanks, Joe. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Palm Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.